Theater people. Man, do I hate talking to theater people. The reason I hate talking to theater people is because it makes me want to do theater. And I don't do theater much anymore. I don't like talking to actors because I like to act. It makes me think, I should chuck this radio business and go back into acting. But that wouldn't be very practical because then my family would starve and so would I. But here we are, talking to actors on the Let's Go Eat show. We're going to be talking to an actor, one actor who is the entire cast of a play called Selma 65. We're going to be talking with Tracy Merrill Wilson. Uh, Ms. Wilson, Merrill Wilson, I guess it's a hyphenated name, uh, is the only cast member of Selma 65, although she plays many characters in Selma 65. More on that in the podcast. Uh, we also talked with the director of the show, Lane Richens, and the stage manager was there as well, uh, Jenny Pett, and uh, she had a few things to add to the discussion as well. Uh, one woman show, a one person show, man, I can't imagine. I can't imagine having to do it. Just, you know, memorizing the lines alone uh, is a difficulty, but then the whole thing kind of hinges on you. You're the only person on stage. And you've got to carry it off. Um, Selma 65, we'll tell you what the story is, but it was about a very turbulent time, 1965, in civil rights movement in America and in Selma, Alabama. And this is a story of a particular woman, and we'll talk about all of that. But uh, Dylan Allred, the producer of the Let's Go Eat show, and me, um, we both had a chance to go see a, a technical uh, performance of this production. Hadn't opened to the public yet, so there were about six of us in the audience. But it was a straight run-through, no stopping. And um, it's, it's a powerful piece. It's a piece that uh, makes you think about if you were alive in 1965. It makes you remember certain things. Or if you know that history, it'll certainly bring the history of the civil rights movement alive. Uh, the show... Uh, is at the Janae Wagner Theater. It's in a, the Black Box Theater, so it's a very intimate setting. Uh, the show, before the actual action starts, there's music that sets the mood, and there are slides and things that'll set the mood for you. And it makes me want to act again, damn it. Uh, I want to thank the folks at uh, the Cafe at 50 West. We sat down and had some uh, nice food there while we talked uh, to uh, the cast and the director of Selma 65. Uh, also, let me remind you before we go into this, uh, go to the letsgoeatshow.com or go to iTunes uh, if you get your podcast there. If you go to, if you, if you get to podcast from iTunes, make sure you take a second and rate us, you know, click on the stars and give us a review and rate us. Uh, that's also always helpful. Uh, you can find us on Stitcher, of course, and x96.com. But go to go to iTunes and do a rating for us, if you would, please, okay? Um, you can also find out more about Selma 65 by going to their website, pygmalianproductions.org. I think that covers everything, so let's get into it. Here it is, the director, the cast, and the stage manager of Selma 65. Rapture Blister Burn last year, Cheat. Lane and I did Cheat together. Um, when was that? It was like years ago, five yeah. years ago. Um, but anyway, stuff. 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 Mm. Rare Bird with Ann Decker. Uh, everyone, uh, everyone in the world came because it was Ann Decker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I acted with Ann Decker once. Did you? In True West. Uh, she had that role. 
She played the mother, the mother in True role, West. A terrible role to have. And I played the, uh, what was my character? Was it like an agent? Oh, yeah. The agent who comes in and, yeah. and gets gets the shit scared out who of him. Who were your guys? Uh, Mark Larson. And I don't remember the other guy. Don't remember where he. What was that? It was a while ago. Larry West directed it, I think. Pretty sure. And it was it was up at the U, and it was in a really small venue. Just a small little. Yeah, that's probably back when that studio was upstairs. That little tiny black box up there. That's where it was. It was upstairs. That thing's cool. I miss that place. It was fu- it was fun. It was uh, it was good. Yeah, yeah. Mark was it Mark Larson. And can't remember the other guy. No, not Pat. Anyway, all right. Let I you're going to have to let's just start because this is a, a the name of the production is Selma sixty five. And it's um, it's being presented by Pygmalion Theater, and we have here with us the director Lane Richens and the the lone actor uh, in this production Tracy Merrill, and then we have the stage manager here who will say something if if I mean if we need to jump in with a, an important lighting cue or <laughs> or. Uh, uh, a a prop, the prop prop question or something like that. Rehearsal gossip. She could she could rehearsal definitely report gossip. about rehearsal gossip. Well, rehearsals is just must be. I mean, in a lot of respects, rehearsals for, for a long time was just the director and the actress. Yes. Um, yeah, and, I mean, and yeah. Jenny. the three and of the, us the whole the time. Was yeah. it the three of you the yes. whole time? Yeah, I've been outnumbered. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and overruled. <laughs> yes, always. So, so first of all, uh, Lane, why don't you tell uh, uh, the audience uh, on the Let's Go Eat show here, what, uh, the show you're listening to, uh, what the story of Selma 65 is. Thanks for having me, Bill. This is cool, man. Um, so, Selma 65 written by my friend Katrine Fiyu, who's coming in from New York on the 12th to do a talkback, by the way. Um, ostensibly the story of two different people, real people from the civil rights marching days. This takes place on March 25th, 1965, which is the last day of the Selma to Montgomery March. Tells the story of Viola Liuzzo, the lone female civil rights activist in that time that was murdered. The only, the only, I I was just doing a little reading, the only known a white female civil rights person yeah. to be murdered. It's insane because you never hear of this story. Um, so it's her story. The name. It's funny when I read the name and it rang a bell to me. I mean, I'd had heard this story, but it's kind of faded in in its. Uh, it's faded, hasn't it? It really has. I mean, um, she has a a small part in that movie Selma that came out last year, and um, small bit parts and other things. But you know, this this is the first time that. I know of any sort of work that is dedicated strictly to her. So, so let's go on with the story. The uh, um, 
This is the march. This was after the Bloody Sunday. After that, they started the march on towards Montgomery. Which one? We're, we're getting our food here at 50 West. There we go. Where it's, it is the Let's Go Eat show after all. <laughs> Cobb salad and Chase is bringing the food. And uh, I'm having a, the healthy lunch of French fries. <laughs> we all regret not getting the French fries. Well, no, the salads here are incredibly no, good. No, all of it, but French fries are French fries. But oh, yeah. no, I, I, this is, I usually don't, I, I, I have French fries here when I'm doing this show a lot of times. I don't know. It's almost the only time I just order French fries. Anyway, back to this story. Yeah, so um, so the march started on Sunday, the 21st, finally, uh, of March, and ended on the 25th. and 65? 65. And uh, so Viola's job during this particular section of the march was to shuttle the marchers back from Montgomery to Selma. And she was uh, doing her last run with a young black man in the car next to her. And, um, and then on her way back, to, or on the way back to Montgomery, gets shot down. Now, the story is interspersed with the other story of um, Gary Thomas Rowe, Tommy. And he is a sort of a bruiser, a bouncer. He was a bouncer in a VFW club, I think, in Montgomery. And uh, the FBI gets wind that he has been impersonating an agent. So they use him, they infiltrate him into the KKK in order to get information about the KKK. Well, he ends up being in the car that murders Viola Liuzzo. So Tracy plays the parts of both Viola and Tommy Rowe. Now that's, that's where I, as I read through the press release, and I thought, how does this... How does the, how do you do that, and and then why? What is the dramatic conceit of having an an actress play the part of the murdered woman and the man who was in the car when she was murdered? Well, I think part of the reason this show exists in general is, um, though, is ostensibly the story of these two people. Really, when you look at it, it's the story of us, and we're looking at we're using this show to um, sort of make the audience complicit in what's really going on, and that is this vicious, vicious circle that never ends, right? And so the show exists to, to help bring us out of our ignorance in order to break the circle forward. So I think by making one actress play both those roles, it's, what it's doing is making her more of an everyman, somebody that we can relate to and can complicit to, to show that it's not necessarily about what happened to Viola or what happened with Tommy, but really what's happening with all of us. Now, when, ta- uh, when I read the... Um, I started, did some reading about this, um, and um, what I read and what I feel is that Viola is certainly a sympathetic character, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tommy Rowe, not so much, at least in the reading I, I did. But does this play... Is there something sympathetic or something about his character that we sympathize with? Well, the challenge with any script really is to try to make every character there somewhat human. We need to make them relatable. We've got to be empathetic with them on some respect, but we don't care about them, right? Nobody cares about a straight villain. So, yeah, I mean, he wasn't the greatest guy. And I was talking with the um, Gary May, who wrote the only biography about Tommy Rowe that's out there, and he, after spending so much time researching and talking with Tommy and all this, 
still was like he's not a very good guy. <laughs> yeah. You know, so yeah, I mean, there is a challenge in making him human, but that's the challenge of all theater. And yeah. and um, I, I think, think that Cat did a, a remarkable job in terms of finding those elements to help pull a little of that did? out. Now who did? I'm sorry, the the playwright. Uh-huh. Um, that she. There are scenes where he's talking about. Um, talking to his parents and, and talking to his daughter and the, the little, the little aspects that, I mean, these are of course her interpretation, her fabrication to develop the story. But, but, you know, these moments of trying to give a little humanity as to why he thought he was doing the right thing, even if he wasn't a very likable guy. Now, is anything, uh, said or done or, um, talked about there, there was a young man in the car with her. Yeah, his name was Leroy Moulton. He was 18. And a young black man. And he uh, escaped the, the, these people shooting him and, because uh, he pretended to be dead, as I understand it. Is there, is there talk of him in the, in the play? Absolutely. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, he's, a, he's actually quite a central element of the show. He's an Invisible scene partner um, in in quite a few. We, there are many scenes that take place in the car, and so I refer to him. I, you know, he. I'm talking to him, um, so he he is very much a, a central character mm-hmm. without being built. <laughs> I don't think I've I don't think I've ever I've, d- I've done some acting in my time, and <laughs> I, but I don't think I've ever been called on to do a one person one man, if you will. Forgive the sexism. But no, I play a man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, that's true. A one a one person performance. Um, uh, how how long is the play? How long how long are you on stage? Uh, about sixty minutes. Um, it is twenty no, twenty pages. No intermission. No intermission. Nope. Um, so it's an hour that you have to be there yourself. What you've never done this before? No, no. This is this is my first. It's it's. I mean, it for for an actor, it's certainly a glorious challenge. I mean, it's it is a, a beautiful, sought after challenge. And then you start, and you're like, "What am I doing? This is terrifying." <laughs> but at the same time, you know, it, it's 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 so exciting. I, it, it's very different. I mean, it's such a, a a different rehearsal process. And in this case, talk I mean, about I, those differences. What? Yeah. Well, uh, there's no one to feed off of um so so lane acts very much as kind of the sounding board as to you know since i'm i'm reacting to to people who aren't there situations you know he helps ask a lot of the questions to to broaden it to make it a little more specific um it's uh as far as i'm wondering i'm kind of hoping in a way when we do have audiences that perhaps there will be that feeling of um, a different kind of scene partner. Mm-hmm. Um, when we had a, a production, a design run, or producers run the other day, it was um, exciting how it changed things for me. And I didn't expect it to change it that much. There were actually a, a, an audience out there. We had, yeah, we had the huh. um, sound designer, set designer, the producers. How did know. it change it? I, I mean. Well, it's, you know, in, in rehearsal, it's so so easy 
um, especially when it's just me, I think I don't realize how much I'm like, nah, yeah, I'm, I'm going to stop. I'm going to go back. I'm going to, you know, when you have a scene partner, you're pushing through for each other. You're playing off of each other when it's just me. Yeah, I'm going to go back. I got to, I got to redo that again. That didn't work. And so here I'm like, whoa, I can't, I can't stop. I've, I've got to push through. And then suddenly I'm saying things and realizing they've never heard these words before. So I've got to, you know, really remember all the things Lane has pointed up of, you know, make sure they're understanding who you're talking to at this point. Um, why is it so important that this information is being passed along? You know, what is the joke? What is the, uh, what is the serious, you know, what is helping the audience, um, take this ride yeah and really i mean that you know it's it may be a 20 page script but it's a dense 20 pages there's a lot of information that again most of us have never heard before and unaware of Mm -hmm. and so to put that on top of creating a story that's a difficult have you taken a look to see how many other characters there really are in this play yeah yeah there's um I mean, if you take into account all of her kids and stuff, we're looking at probably about 11 or 12. Just, um, just that she interacts that with she or interacts Tom, with, but then Tommy interacts? Well, that she interacts with either as Tommy or oh. Viola, but, um, but if you wanted to, you really could expand that more to like 20. There's maybe 20 other characters maybe. that have to be embodied by Tracy Merrill. Not, not well, well okay. uh, Interacted with. Interacted yes. with. Yeah. That's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you have to... I mean, it's a what, sort of what you're talking about here is not only do you have to be you you have to kind of bring them to life. Yeah, yeah, certainly make make believable. You know who each one is, what what their relationship to me is, what you know how how it propels everything forward. How uh, sometimes when you're acting in a ensemble. You know, you, you you can kind of lay back a little bit sometimes. <laughs> you can. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you're not. You it really shouldn't, <laughs> but it happens. Uh, and uh, and sometimes you can you can also blame your own inadequacies on someone else. <laughs> it happens. Uh, it's just you. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's just you. Yep. <laughs> um, do you, you have any regrets? No. Well, we haven't opened yet. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, all the shame all, or all the glory. This is where right? your director jumps in and says, and you will have no regrets. <laughs> I don't have any yet. Uh, well, see, there you go. He doesn't have any. He's not. How did you... Um, um, Wayne, when you decide, why did you decide to do this? You mentioned that you're friends with the playwright. Yeah, I'm a big fan of hers. She worked on uh, a script that I directed for Pig a few years ago called Seven, and um, <clears throat> we've just become friends over the years. And so she sent me a few scripts last year, and you know, she's got a a poetic right way of writing. There's mm-hmm. this is this is there's a music to the way she writes that really. Um, intrigues me it, it, it enchants me really um and the way this script is is told i mean the brutality of what this story really is about and the sort of immediacy that she's able to install in this show i mean technically this is a bitch of a show it really is i mean i'm calling it sort of like a double memory play memory upon memory she comes from viola and two completely different ways depending on where Viola is in the moment. 
And I just thought that it was a really intriguing way to tell this story. And then, you know, of course, we see this story everywhere we look, all over the place. You know, it's not just race rights issues, although those are everywhere as yeah. well. But, you know, we have our own discrimination issues here in Salt Lake, you know. We, mm-hmm. and, and she brings the government into it. I mean, I think a lot of us are really naive as to the role the government plays in some of the heinous things that we ostensibly are against. Well, it's pretty interesting that, to note that uh, after she was murdered by these kooks, Ku Klux Klansmen, and they were members of the Klan. Absolutely. Um, and it was in, in, indisputable that she was murdered by them. Um, that the FBI, because they had an informant in the in the car, they were worried about how this would look toward them, and so they started spreading false stories about her yeah the aftermath of this might be the most brutal part of the story um you know they they created a smear campaign against her which lasted for years 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 it basically destroyed her family they um ended up suing the government losing and um and then conversely the men who were in the car ended up becoming celebrities except for tommy who had to go into witness protection um because once he was found out by the uh by the KKK that he was part of the FBI. He couldn't, no. he had to hide. But, you know, they became celebrities. Her car was bought Lo- by a... Kind of local celebrities yeah. and regional celebrities. Yes, yeah. they were applauded. They would have... They, I mean, they were they were put on trial, but the, they weren't... Were they not convicted of anything? So or? two of them were convicted. Um, it, the sentence didn't last long. So when they came out, you know, they had a parade and whatnot. And then and one man bought her car and put it out in his... Um, Used parking lot, I think it was, a parking car, or used car lot, and, you know, sold tickets to look at that. The the Viola Luizzo death car. Yeah, exactly. And that became a tourist attraction. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's I mean, that stuff, it did it did so little to change what was going on. And it's, it's tragic. And uh, like I said, her family, um, we watched this amazing documentary, and by amazing, I mean depressing. Um... <laughs> Home of the Brave, which was about her and her, the aftermath with her children. And it's amazing the effect. One of her children lives in Alabama in the backwoods off the grid and is a um, white supremacist. What? Yeah. And another one is now off grid after 9-11. He went off grid in Michigan. He's part of the Michigan militia up there, and he does, you know, ham radio up there in the underground. So, so they had a mother who was a civil rights activists and and a and a bleeding heart and they've become just the opposite way the sons anyway yeah Yeah. um a little bit more about her story i guess is uh, she wasn't uh, she she'd spent some time in her youth uh in a poor family living in tennessee in the south so or alabama maybe tennessee tennessee and uh, so she had seen that kind of poverty firsthand. But then when she, when this happened, she was had been living in Detroit. Or Detroit, was it? Yes. For many years. Yes. Had married and had a big family, mm-hmm. a lot of kids, five kids or yeah, something Yeah, she like was that. on her third marriage, five kids. Um, but was still a kind of a, a bleeding heart activist. Never went away from her. Yeah. I think she was just a, a woman who 
wanted to make a difference all the time. So she she went out of her way to leave her family and go down to Selma, Alabama, to help uh, the these freedom marchers. She didn't even give them notice. She said she was going. Then she said she'd wait and talk with them. And she took off. She took the, her husband's car and left. <laughs> she's she's an interesting character. Maybe you could talk about this a little bit more. Yeah. But I mean, just in the sense of. The, the sort of amount of responsibility that she tended to want to put upon her shoulders, ironically, she turns her back on her family to go do, you know, step into what could be an extremely dangerous situation. Does the character address that? Um, I think more so with Leroy, more so with, with Leroy. The, the young um, black civil rights worker that was in the car with her. Molten. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So in terms of um, I think the, the play definitely deals with with her responsibility for him and how she put him in jeopardy. Um, there's definitely touches of um, she put him in jeopardy because you're not supposed to be riding around town white woman and a black man alone again in a car. Yes, yeah. And at least at least based on the script, he certainly expressed concerns with them going back and forth. Maybe they should just stop. Maybe and and um, she felt, you know, they needed to press through. The marchers needed one to be ride. taken care of. Just, just one, one more, more ride. ride. And um, and so so the the, the play definitely um, Viola definitely addresses that in, in the play. There as far as um I don't think that there's really any kind of regret in terms of, or that that's noticeable in terms of if she had another chance, Mm -hmm. she'd, I mean, she'd do it again. I mean, maybe as far as, you know, trying to protect Leroy better, trying to, you know, uh, but as far as leaving her family, it was, it was because she wanted a better world for them. She wanted her children to be in a world where, um, people are equal where, you know, a, a, the right to vote is, is something that everyone should have. I mean, so she, she truly and passionately believe that, um, that people are just people and they're equal and all beautiful. And, um, and that's, that's what she stood for. Um, but as far as it, it's kind of a, and it's also the the play itself is a is a crazy ride in terms of the forward and back movement of of where she is in her brain versus where the story is versus where everyone else is. So, What's a, I guess the the perspective must be it's it's kind of she she she's somewhere in the ether looking back on all of this. I guess is that how how it's presented? Yeah. Where where is she exactly? Is it it's a memory? It's a I mean, I, I, it's 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 like limbo, you know. She's lost in the area, yeah. whatever that is to us, and whatever that is to the audience. It's trying to bring that, bring that kind of. If we can somehow capture, maybe all memories live around us, and if we can somehow capture that and bring it shimmering to life on stage for a couple. Yeah, that's of minutes, a good way to put it. Yeah. yeah. Um, how did let's talk about uh, Tommy Rowe a little bit, the other character you play? Um, I, I would assume that most of the time is devoted to Viola. I don't know. It's Viola. pretty. It's, it's pretty, pretty split. Even. Yeah. So what's his deal? What's Tommy Rowe's deal? 
Uh, he he never finished high school. Um, he well, he never made it to high school. He wanted to be a policeman more than anything. So when they um, when the FBI approached him because he had been um, impersonating an agent, uh. it was it, it's at least from. Um, from Gary May's book, you certainly get the sense that the FBI thought they were going to have to use this to pressure him to become an informant. Well, to him, this was a step into you know a, sure. a better life. He wanted to be part of the FBI. He wanted, um, but of course they they made it very clear to him over and over that he was an informant, not an agent. Um, don't call yourself an agent. Yeah, don't. <laughs> but uh, but he 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 truly believed that. You know the southern the southern way was was true that blacks and whites were not equal mm-hmm. that um, shouldn't mingle. No, I mean he wholeheartedly believed it, and and there's a real sadness in the fact that um, he thought that he and the FBI were on the same page, that they were all doing this for the same reason, that Martin Luther King was a communist, that. Uh, one of my favorite lines in the play is he calls Martin Luther King a communist and a sexual pervert. And he believed those things 100%, which is, again, part of the sadness of it, um, because he thought he was doing things for the right reason. Well, yeah, and I mean, you know, to, to talk about what makes this guy human, I mean, it's pretty Greek. Really, all he wants is some recognition. That's all he wants. He wants to be known as somebody. He wants to be seen as somebody that matters, somebody that makes a difference somehow. And never gets that because he's largely he's an idiot. Um, but, um, but and let, let it be known, too, he didn't like the KKK. He was against them. He was a racist, but he thought the KKK was a joke. Mm-hmm. Well, there was some question as to whether or not he'd actually – didn't they try to – Claim that he'd actually been the one who did the shooting in the car. Yeah, yeah, they did. And I'm, I, you know, the the forensics on that are such that I don't know that we'll ever really know who who fired the shot. But but what we do know is all the guns in that car fired shots, and one of those guns was in his hand. Uh, so everybody just yeah. all three, three, four, four, four of the guys four just opened up. Opened oh, up. the. I, I don't the driver. I don't think he probably didn't shoot. But I think there was just three guns. But um. it's a, it's remarkable that uh, Leroy was a, is that his name Moulton? Yeah, he was not injured at all. It's amazing. I mean, they took them from the driver's side, so he did have that shelter there of of all the extra part of the car and Viola as well. Pretty smart of him to play dead that quickly. I mean, like it, it to me that is pretty tragic too to think that that's the instinct that he has yeah you know that's been in him they drove i guess they drove off the road into a ditch or something yeah they went off the right side of the road they and then the car stopped and came back to check the car to make sure they were dead um but you know i think there's a little panic setting in on their side too we certainly don't shy away from that sort of the how it psychologically touches tommy as well that's that's definitely part of this how do we um, how do we stage something like this? We've got uh, sixty minutes, one actor on stage, um, a lot of words. I, I'm I'm assuming a lot of words, um, and and yet somehow it has to be dynamic. That's your challenge. That's that's pretty. 
I mean, you know, if it's a film, of course you can do the you can do all of the action. You can have them driving and shooting and all of that stuff. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, this is the first time as a director I've worked on a one-person show, so it's kind of new for me too. A lot of this has been learning by jumping into the fire, but. (laughs) But one, one, some things are really clear, right? And something like this, just from a technical standpoint, you've got to pay attention to transitions. You have to make sure every moment, whatever moment it is, is clear to the audience and to yourself. If, it's, if we can see what your stakes are and we can, we can feel where you are, if you're in that moment and place, then we're okay. Then it just becomes like another play. It's just about pacing and... You know, making sure we tell that story clearly. Mm-hmm. But I think ultimately, um, and that's been the, the surprising thing about all of this, is that it comes down to just that, as, as with any play. If you can tell the story clearly, you're going to be fine. So, yeah, there's, this is not a realistic set. We're taking a lot of liberties, lots of heavy projection, you know. And oh, there, like are, there are projections. That's, lots. That's cool. Yes, yeah, and very much, I mean, as far as uh, we talk about us being the only three in the rehearsal room, but the our production is very dependent on our uh, lighting designer, our sound designer, um, our set designer. I mean, those they are telling the story as much as, as any one of us. So it's very multimedia. In very a lot. much so. Yeah, yeah. Katrine has written in several um, specific sort of, she's got a LifeWave uh, commercial in there. Oh, really? Yeah, she's got, um, you know, Martin Luther King speechifying. She's got LBJ speechifying. She's got all kinds of very specific sorts of things that she puts in there. And then we decided, because she has those every few pages, not to just go ahead and make the projection another character. And so we use it pretty constantly throughout. So that helps a lot, too. Um, does, the, uh, does the story and uh, does the play address uh, the legacy of this woman and and uh, what because I mean when she died um, I mean her name is and this is just reading I did today her name is inscribed on the on the the pet Nor- the Pettus Bridge the Norman Pettus is that what it is the, yeah mm-hmm. the Norman Pettus Bridge where the first Bloody Sunday March took place her name is there inscribed on that bridge among others uh, who participated in that um, when she her her funeral um, Martin Luther King jr. was at the funeral among other again luminaries um, I read that it was interesting to me that uh, uh, George Romney the governor of Michigan Mitt Romney's father uh, went to her family uh, after her death and mm-hmm. and and talked to them about what a, a great contribution she'd made and what a great woman she was there's a park named after her in in the Detroit area there's you know uh, there are several things like L- that. LBJ said something nice about her at one at one point in the proceedings and let's not forget that her gravestone is constantly um, abused and okay. oh, it is. Yeah, and like it, 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 there are many of her monuments still in the South that um, are tr- are treated poorly still. So there are the legacies, the good ones, but the bad legacies exist around still. Okay, that's a, well. That's what I want to yeah. talk about. I mean, so does it? It, it addresses, um, it addresses her legacy 
in that fashion? To some extent. I mean, really what it does is sort of put the onus of her legacy on the audience's shoulders. So, so you know, sort of what it tries to do and what we're trying to do is set it up so that the, by the end of the show, the legacy, her legacy, really becomes what can we do to help break this vicious circle that we're all still stuck in. And, and so does it talk literally about her, her legacy afterward? Not really. It does discuss some about her tombstone mm-hmm. and some other things. But um, it's, she speaks more in a, that the legacy is what comes in the future, what comes after. And it's kind of a second chance at a legacy, legacy since uh, the FBI maligned her so horribly. I mean, I... Yeah, that's really weird. Oh, just it's terrible. disgusting. That was J. Edgar himself. It was well, not a nice man. No. <laughs> and they say in the script, her, her file is as thick as four phone booths or phone books. <laughs> sorry, sorry. I laugh because that's an error I keep making is I keep saying four phone booths instead of books while going through runs. So. Well, it's, uh, that's okay. <laughs> Nobody knows what a phone book or a phone booth is anymore anyway. <laughs> that's a good point. So people will just look at you blankly no matter what you say. <laughs> but what is that? What? Uh, yeah. Um, what, do, what did you find the uh, your greatest challenge was doing this? Um, how do you memorize all those lines? <laughs> <laughs> you know, what is the what is the hardest thing about it? Um, I, you know, and I usually it's funny because that you I mean you know that that question comes up always. a lot. It, yeah, how do you memorize yeah. all those lines? And I'm always like, oh, it's you know, it's just it's just the first step. It's just part of the process. Then the fun, fun begins. And but with this one, I was like, I've got 20 pages. I've got 20 pages. <laughs> but um, you know, it, then it just comes down to the storytelling. Um, but it was hard to memorize 20 pages, wasn't it? Oh my gosh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> usually, because usually when you're an actor, you go, that's. That's that's just sense memory. I just yeah. I have a muscle that does that. Yeah, no, uh, no. Well, sometimes not. A muscle's not so big. But, yeah. um, or try being in a uh, in waiting for Godot. Sometimes when I was just yeah, I was right. just going to bring up. I remember when I was a kid and you were doing waiting for Godot. You almost had a breakdown memorizing those lines. Oh my god! You were. I mean, you wouldn't sleep. You would. You would like wake up like quoting lines from the. Sh- I mean, he, it was. And there were two people in that damn show. Yeah, and the other and the other guy kept going up in his lines all the time. Oh my god! So if you go up in your lines in that play, you don't. Oh gosh! Okay, where are we? Oh well, gosh! I'm actually a little nauseous just thinking. Of that. Oh, it's pretty scary. Oh my <laughs> gosh! Scary. Um. Well, you know, the one of the, I mean, lines aside, uh, as far as trying to consistently find the, the different physicalities, I, I don't have time to change costumes. So I am the same picture, basically, throughout the show, whether I'm Tommy or Viola, minus um, he does wear a hood when he's in the Senate um, testifying because he is in witness protection. But other than that, the rest of the time, I am... I am. You can't just like throw in a scarf or a hat or no, anything. No, no. Uh, we've we've chosen not to um, pace. Yeah. So so then it comes down to physicality and vocal quality and you know those those habits and just different mm-hmm. things of, and it's you know there some parts are just fun and you jump in and then there are other parts that that just don't quite work so it's that constant trying to find how to how to make it more clear and and yeah. um i mean it's, it's still fun i mean yeah, no matter sure. what but it's but yeah that to find i know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> i 
I know. I really know. Like you, this, God, this damn, this goddamn minute has never worked for me. How do I make this? You know, it's just this one spot. Why? Yep. Why can't I get this to work? <laughs> yeah, you know, I know. It's just, it's 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 rough. It must be. So you you change from Tommy to uh, it's. Are we saying Viola? Or Viola. 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 Uh, you're changing sometimes just instantaneously, like on a dime almost? Um, there's, because of the transitions, um, we, there, it's often kind of a beat or a slower turn, um, but it's, but it's, it's pretty quick. Yeah. But yes, yes is the answer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's, yeah, there's, there's not much time. There, there are not many blackouts. There's not... It's it's just kind of, you know, trusting that the work we're doing is is going to be clear enough, and that the audience is going to want to come along with us. Yeah. Um, Jenny Peck is the stage manager. Uh-huh, here you go. Yay! So now, hi I, Jen. I would. She's been sitting here, and I'd like I your. I was just bringing props. I, I, I would like your uh, a little bit of your in insight into this, and. Um, you you were there from the beginning. Um, what? Well, you have a lot to do, I would think, in this play because there are how many lighting cues? Uh, there are about a hundred and fifteen lighting cues, mm-hmm. and uh, it's very technical. How about show. props? How many props? You know, actually, the props not are not too too bad. That's mm-hmm. very minimal. Um, it's going to be mostly projections, the lighting, mm-hmm. and the sound that would be pretty heavy. Was there some particular challenge as, for you as a stage manager that you've never done before uh, because this was a, like a one-man production, a one-man show? Um, you know, it's, it's been about the, the same as you would imagine. Um, I've actually found this to be very rewarding where you have one person that you're keeping track of. Um, it's been... It's been a nice bonding bonding moment for the three of us since uh, we've spent a lot of time together over the past several weeks. So you it's been you very nice. You don't have to do things like, what, wait a minute, where's Bill Allred? Is he late again? Yeah. Why? Did you're you forget to at, sign in? Yeah, you're Bill looking drunk at, in the alley again. You're looking at your list of, you know, 25 actors going, wait a minute, what do you, what do you mean Eddie isn't here? Yeah, where is that Tracy Merrill? Yeah, I, I can keep track of her pretty Put a bell on well. her, it's fine. Are you are you call you're calling all the queue you're calling the whole show? Yeah. So like when we're talking about transitioning and using the projection and I assume maybe like lighting is a part of telling where in the story you are or what character you yeah. are. Uh, and as a stage manager you call that. So you tell the lights when to change and 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 the projectionist to start the thing and the music. So I mean you're you're the other actor with her. Yeah, that's I guess a good so. way to that's a good way to look <laughs> not, at it. Not to put any Behind pressure the on scenes, you or thank you. Or <laughs> you know um, but but in but in a way that's really true. You have to follow her beats and and I think really you're probably following her and have to be very observant and follow the beats that she provides and Right. and and, and if she does go up on a line and kind of trails off for a second, you have to really be there and go, uh, she's going to find us. Hang on. We're going to get... Yeah. And it then be just my adrenaline. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, you'll see panic from the booth. No, but you can feel, you can feel oh, that um, sort of uh, well-oiled machine working between everybody. Yeah. You know, it's 
we wash each other's hands constantly, and it, it's just more of a neurobarous than is anything, right? How long have you worked on this, you guys? Uh, well, I'm, I've been working on it for eight months. We've worked on it together for about four weeks now. That's, I mean, that's a pretty standard kind of four weeks, and you, you have other jobs, and you yeah. know, so you have to come, come together after that, or, and, and it makes for long days and stuff, but that's... Um, it's a, I guess that's a fairly standard rehearsal time. Yeah, that's normal. Yeah, you, uh, Pygmalion Theater is uh, uh, the company that's producing this. Is this at um, what theater? The Rose We're Wagner? in the black box at the Rose Wagner. Where I did Waiting for Godot. That's right. <laughs> many, that's right. Many years ago now. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, um, and it's, uh, what are the run times again? You, you've got it there, Dylan. Thursdays, Fridays, Saturdays, 7.30 p.m., Sunday matinees, 2 p.m., Saturday matinees, 2 p.m. And it opens? It's the 4th through the 19th. That Saturday matinee is on the 19th. So how many uh, shows is that all together, do you? I think 12 or 13. 12 or 13, pretty good. That's a pretty good run. Yeah. Uh, tickets are, are available at Art? Yeah, artsaltlake.org. Artsaltlake. And pygmalionproductions.org. Um, should be known that as part of this show, we're bringing in other sort of nonprofits that kind of tie into the show. So on opening night, we'll have representatives from the NAACP there. On the fifth Saturday night, we'll have representatives, I think, from the ACLU there. And then, of course, the playwright Katrine Fiu will be here on the night of the 12th, that's a Saturday, for a talkback. Fiu, that's a good old, like, sound, New Orleans sounding. Yeah, she's got some good old French something going on there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Pygmalion Theater uh, is a, a, a company that's been around for uh, a while now. I don't know how long, but uh, are there is there a regular schedule of shows for Pygmalion Theater? There is. You can go to our website, PygmalionProductions.org, and check out what we've got going on for the season. Our next show is played by Larry West called Revington and Weasel. Directed he, re- by, he wrote he it? He wrote it, uh-huh. Directed by Robin Wilkes Dunn, hmm. and that opens end of April, end of April. Yeah, he directed the Godot I was in as well. Oh. We're we're old classmates from Weber many years ago, and that's back in the time. And I hadn't acted for a long time, and he called me up and said, "How would you like to be in a production of Waiting for Godot?" And I said, "I'd love to." Now I hadn't acted in an awful long time. It was a really really fun way to jump back in. <laughs> he still has to, a little PTSD from it. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit to not bit being in a play for a long time. Yeah. And, but it got I, I love doing it, uh, and so. Uh, I, I never auditioned, but if you ever want to ask me to be in something, <laughs> I, I had to I had to make it my policy that I won't go out and audition for stuff because I just I really don't have time to do any any theater. But if somebody asks me, I can't not do it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So, so yeah. I do. I mean, I do stuff for Plan B occasionally yeah, and all no, of that. So yeah. So if you ever want to ask me to do a role, but you think you know, I bet Bill Allred be just fine for that. I don't need to audition him. Just let's ask him if he'll do it. Just ask me, and I'm 99% of the time I'll say, okay. <laughs> I'm going to write that down. something, yeah. I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Pygmalion Productions, again, uh, the uh, play opens on March 4th. 4th. And by the time uh, you're hearing this, that will be March 6th. Okay, so, so you've already missed all, a couple. You've, yeah, you're already late to the game. So go and get your tickets and go see it. Uh, March 6th, the show's at 2 o'clock. Maybe you'll hear what? it by then. There you go. Oh, oh that's Sunday? Yeah. That's a, that's okay. a Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was a Saturday. I was like, what? I hope you come. 
Yeah, you better be there. Well, you you've got you know where she is. Yeah, I'll step in. I yeah. guess <laughs> you'll know it by yeah you'll know it. Eight oh one three five five arts arctics dot org. And then uh, what day was it with the where the author is? She'll be in the night of March twelfth. That's the Saturday seven thirty show. And that arctics address has changed since we did that. They yeah, changed their address. It's I now artsaltlake dot org. Artsaltlake dot org. I heard you say it differently, and I went what? I didn't know they changed. They just recently changed that. Artsaltlake.org. You need okay. an intern to go just through all of these, <laughs> yeah. whatever, 10,000 of them, and just write it in real, real small. Uh, Lane Richens, uh, the director, Tracy Merrill, the uh, actor, and Jenny Peck, the stage manager. Uh, the play is Soma 65. Great success. I'm going to try and come and see it. Um, hope, hope you uh, hope you have great audiences, and sounds like a, a project you've really put everything into. Thanks for being with us. Thanks a lot, Bill. Thank you so much, Bill. It's the Let's Go Eat Show. I'm Bill Allred. Uh, that's Dylan. He produced the show. Uh, thank you to the club. I think they brought those French fries for me also. They brought two things of French fries. You did say I want a lot of French fries. Well, I just meant that they should put a lot in the basket. If I would have known, I would have no been eating them this salad. whole time. The salad but is outstanding. Aren't the salads salad yeah. good? Uh, Great. Yeah. Uh, the club at 50 West, 50 West Broadway. Uh, they do a fine job here for lunch. Mm-hmm. And uh, breakfast. They have a great breakfast, really good breakfast here. So uh, stop by. Uh, thanks for hosting us. Uh, that's it, I guess. Um, we'll see you all again. Break a leg. And um, remember if you're pouring the drinks, always make mine a double. <laughs>